the train is grateful for the producer credit, but what it really wants to do is direct. Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Kari Oela. My co-host is Henrik Telki. Every week here we go through one film from top to bottom, sometimes to an insane level of detail, and we concentrate on movies from around the world, so we are not limited to, and hardly even much go to Hollywood. Yeah, and with that out of the way, welcome also to the final station. I, I would say this today's Episode being Peninsula, which marks the end of our look into the now-researching South Korean zombie flicks. Yeah, we managed to go down again the rabbit hole, so we have been uh, going through a franchise again. We did that with Halloween, and uh, I don't think we have done it ever since, except now. If... Well, we have kind of started done it with, with James Bond. And Hellraiser. <laughs> And Hellraiser, even though Hellraiser we never saw through to the end. Yeah. Got, got to the film 3 and, and quickly dropped that project. And, well, James Bond is, is kind of halfway there. We did cover the kind of, a, I would say, one third of the franchise. Yeah, I can't, still can't believe that we are still kind of in the middle of James Bond marathon. <laughs> So we're still going to do, of course, No Time to Die, as we promised, once it's, once it's out. But it was pushed back because of this pandemic. Unlike today's film, which did come out, and in doing so, did really not pay that much attention into thinking, is it really good time to release a zombie pandemic film when you are actually dealing with a global pandemic of COVID-19? And what I found wonderful here is that this is a 16 million budget and they wanted to push this out during the pandemic anyways with a bit of a risk calculation just to, well, it's also this marketing talk, but they wanted to push it out and kind of help out the industry at, at the same time. And uh, the results haven't been bad, you know, worldwide. Uh, around the end of August now, it's been $32 million that it has garnered, but still not much, not much. It Well, it has doubled already its budget. If everything is included in that budget, that's pretty okay. Most likely everything hasn't been included. Like, the first thing that usually doesn't go into, into the budget reporting is, is marketing expenses. Yes, Peninsula, Bando, standalone sequel to Train to Busan, the zombie flick from 2016, which we covered in the last episode. With yeah, Fe- um, well, well, like the previous films, Zero Station and Train to Busan, Peninsula also is, it, it is something. I'm, I'm not completely certain what, 
but it most definitely is. It is something. This something was put out in South Korea on 15th of July and uh, on 21st of August 2020 pushed out in the United States. This film carries the title of A Train to Busan Presents Peninsula in the United States. Which is is uh, extremely weird. It is, and uh, there were nice comments in the comments section of AV Club. Like, quote, The train is grateful for the producer credit, but what it really wants to do is direct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, with, with Peninsula, you you can... Like, it, it is plain as day. That, that Peninsula is the film that now wants to build the Train to Busan universe and, and Train to Busan franchise like you you had seal station which was some kind of a weird i tip my toes in the waters of making saying something political waters and then you had the train to busan the the runaway hit that if you believe the common take uh, of about that film is the movie that invented the zombie genre, invented character arcs, invented using actors, so like real-life actors in, in your film, invented the technique of using using cameras to capture your movie. And oh. from there, you now have, have the quote-unquote third entry on, on the franchise, and here, here it's it's plain as day that, that this wants to be the film that wants to be the IP. Like it's it's almost down on its knees, begging from you, like like please, please God, please let me have a franchise. Just please, please, just one small franchise. <laughs> How was the vibe in theater when you went to see this film? Anything noteworthy there? Well, it it, it was it was. Almost as dead and barren as the seal of <laughs> of of the movie. <laughs> like there, there was a three person total in in my screening of the movie. Yeah, I counted four people and me, and I was convinced that this was going to be the last screening of the film in Finland, or at least in Finnish theaters. But lo and behold, in the same day or within the same twenty four hours, thinking of just suddenly updated the schedule and added like a week worth of more screenings, showings for the film. I've got to figure what's going on with that company, but yeah, that, that that's kind of that that's kind of the film theaters in in Finland. The the country where which still tries to figure out how the fuck do you run a monopoly. Has Finkino been paying their bills? Any news about that? You know, the last I heard, no. The last I heard, they were still closing the theaters that they bought a couple of years ago with with hefty sums of money and then ran completely to the ground because, once again, this is Finland and what on hell is Monopoly? And hasn't paid for some of the showings of the films as of late during the pandemic. No, they they, they have this, this kind of weird hijack as hostage situation going on with with their with, with their screening schedule. They, I as as far as I understood, they managed to grab some titles into the their screening schedule before the shit hit the fan, so to speak, and then they just 
kind of kept them on the schedule once they reopened the theaters. And Henrik, this is a, a zombie heist film without any kind of a... It doesn't have any hostages. It's just a zombie heist film, though. It is. It is a. It's a really, really weird mashup of of Asian filmmaking, Western sensibilities, pretty much everything that you can get get or borrow from Hollywood, and at at least I would say, goddamn three franchises. Like yeah. you, you land here. This is something that I I thought was going on already, kinda sorta. In, in Train to Busan, where I remarked in, in that episode that I I saw in, in Train a lot of elements and a lot of things that you've already seen in, in Western zombie films. God knows how many times already. Like, we are, go, we are going back to the, to the Dawn of the Dead decades of, of zombie movies with, with the elements that, that Train borrowed. And the borrowing is kind of a, e- even stronger here in, in Peninsula. This is, I, I would say, this is almost like Mad Max Fury Road with, with zombies. And Gladiator and Fight Club and whatnot. And, and Gladiator and Fight Club. And also, when, when it comes to the politics of the film, it's, it's also kind of weird mashup once again. It, it is something that I, I would say the director wants to say about South Korea. Combined with the typical Western genre cliches and tropes, and and kind of the political statements that uh, statements that the Western zombie media quite often make. Like once again, did you kind of notice that capitalism is the true Satan in the story? Uh, kind of. It's kind of a ham-fisted part of it. The actual capitalism, or if if we are talking about only the hefty sums of money in that van. Other than that, well, it's well, kind well, of like... We, we are talking like the, like the whole shebang of, of things. There is, there is, like you mentioned, there is the hefty sums of, of money in the bags. But, but there is also the, the whole factor that basically the, the whole power dynamic of, of this film's universe. Now, once again, or, or as never before seen in zombie media, revolves around consumer goods and controlling the goods. And basically, who has the most goods is also the most greediest and the most self-indulgent assholes of the film, that being the Unit 631, the kind of humane bad guys of, of today's movie. And... Well, it's... It, it's, it's it, it goes to the point, point where... Essentially, essentially, uh, that the whole film could be negated to the point where it wouldn't happen if if there wouldn't be like that twenty million. The film happens purely and solely because there is a hefty sum of money involved, and basically everything that happens in the film once they get to to back to Seoul, it happens purely once again because of capitalism. Because there is the whole, we need resources, and by that I mean consumer goods, economy slash market going on within the within Seoul, and that's where the entire power dynamic of the 
the entire South Korea in this film actually stems from. Yeah, but additionally, there's kind of the 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 human differences or how you treat different kinds of groups. Well, he, here it is very much about the the resource allocation. Who has more resources is going to kind of rule, and they're going to fight for the resources. But it's a kind of a weird mashup, as you are stating, because there is this resource allocation problem, and then there is the 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 zombies. It's a, kind of like a entirely separate kind of a side track in this film, because the zombies are more like a nuisance in the environment. They they are they, they um, uh, unlike in in train where the zombies were kind of the thing like almost everything that happened in train happened because of the zombies and through the zombies there was an example uh, or, or there was an exception and that was the asshole businessman of the film but even even he was kind of a, a working because of the zombies and through the zombie situation and uh, and what he in the end ended up doing, even though he was a major antagonist in that film, he still was kind of a just a smaller player when it came to to a threat than the actual zombie horde that swallows an entire South Korea. Uh, in in here in in Peninsula, like you remarked, the the zombies are kind of a, they are more of a nuisance and they are more of an I would say an environmental obstacle than they are an actual threat. Um, some situations happens because the zombies attack and because the zombies uh, group up and, and attack as a whole. But there are also numerous times where uh, and situations where the characters use the zombie situation to their advantage. Like they, they are, I would say the most inventive aspect of Peninsula is is dealing with and, and showing to you how the survivors in South Korea now are using zombies as, as, as a type of a weapon. In the last episode in Train to Busan, you were complaining about, or just noting at least, the kind of a cliche character arcs, which is true, but at least... In the film, you know, they had pretty much a complete character arc. They served a purpose. And I think Train to Busan was relatively strong in that department. These were characters that we could care about. Whereas here, well, we don't have so many likable characters. And when we kind of do, we are not clear on the motivations of these characters. And somehow they are not believable. I will come into the details later, but... Um, yeah, the, the characters are not working as well, and the, once again, in like in Train to Busan, there is this kind of a overly maudlin moments where we are trying to launch more feeling into the scenes than there would be. It's it's like kind of a pushing it with the music and please get emotional for us. Oh God, is, is it ever like like the ending of the film? Yes. There, there, there are things you can say about the ending of, of this film, and none of them very nice. Yes. Well... I, 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 would, I would actually make the case. Uh, Peninsula has a character. 
it it has one character and then it has a couple of guys who try to be characters. It feels often like now that I have seen the film twice, it feels quite strongly that that this film and the scriptwriters are lost in pleasing the U.S. audiences. These these are the exact same writers that uh, did Train to Busan, the director and the other guy, but they are not able to bring this as cohesive film somehow. I think they are trying to bring up all these the U.S. influences, as you stated, and they are losing focus. They they are, and I I would it's. Once again, I haven't been the fly on on the on, on the ceiling of of the script writing room here. I don't know what is the exact thought process that went through through the writer's head when the script was in in development. But what it smells to me like is that the main reason why why the film is kind of kind of so out of focus in so many areas is. Because this film, unlike Train, which was to me read very much like a standalone movie, like I I didn't even see Train to Busan as as a like a sister piece to to Seal Station. To to me, mm. those movies read like completely separate movies that that barely interact with each other, and. Where I believe that led into was that the, when when writing Train to Busan, the writers were able to just, you know, focus on this one movie. W- with the sensibilities that we are just going to write one movie that's going to be Train to Busan, that's all we are going to do. In And in Peninsula, after after Train became such a hit, now they are kind of a deal, fi- dealing with the sensibilities that we are... Writing a movie, but at the same time, we are also now kickstarting the Train to Busan universe, or at at least franchise. We we are now laying the building blocks for the for the coming sequels to the Train to Busan, so that th- there is this whole thing that now will become there will be more Train to Busan fe- uh, present features, <laughs> and this is the grounding work for those films. The train's only in it for the cocaine, man. No, but which the, there's some comments from the lead actor of this film, Gang Dung Won, who is playing the role of Chun Sok. And he said after the meeting regarding this role that, that uh, he was, quote, very inspired and impressed by the director and his vision and his heart. Okay, that's fine. And then, quote... I really wanted to make a post-apocalyptic movie. And, uh, quote, sometimes it's not very interesting as an actor, end quote. He's referring here to the problem of stepping into a sequel. And especially as an established actor, it might be kind of an uninteresting idea. And then he continues, quote, but when I read the script, I was like, wow, this is a totally different movie, so... We have to make this happen, end quote. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see this script that, that he's talking about. Because the film that I saw, once again, it's, it's kind of the movie that I've seen many times before. Right. Let's talk about a little bit about the prologue stage of the film. 
There's a car driving past a zombie on the ground, which is the first shot of the film, and there's June Sock and the sister in the car, and the child of the sister. And uh, this all starts when there's a family by the road with a kid, and June Sock refu- refuses to take this kid in due to the kind of a pandemic situation. He, he doesn't want to take the risk. And of course, this comes back and haunt him later on. The thing kinda. is, kinda quotation marks. K- kinda, and I I would still say that you know it's it's kind of fifty fifty. I don't really blame Junsuk for leaving the girl there. He was just looking into his own self preservation. It's Im- impossible in the situation to say what would be the outcome of taking these people in anyway. So I don't feel this as a very strong motivation for this character to uh, to become this feeling this kind of a survivor's guilt or starting this whole redemption narrative of the film yeah well that's well, well that family is is not even even the reason why he starts the right the whole redemption arc in in the film the, the reason for that is the right. dead sister yeah there's these two things that are supposed to pile up in his mind and then finally he makes the Surprising decision at the end. <laughs> I I really didn't see the piling up effect when when it comes to his character. I I, I saw that that the, the driving motive and basically the, the whole core element of his character is is the sister and what happens on the ship, and then he kind of sort of has some kind of a resolution. Or, or there, there is a result for his actions of, of leaving the family by the side of the road in the beginning of the film. That that doesn't really lead into anything, but but there, there's a moment, and and then at the very final moment, uh, he to me he still somehow he is now reminiscing the the family that he left on the side of the road while he is fulfilling and completing his arc of redeeming him, himself from what happened to his sister. It, it's a real goddamn mess. I'm referring, for example, to the dream that the, that uh, Sok has in the middle of the film, and in the end where he has this flashback that where everybody is saying something like, you never take responsibility and... Uh, all of this is coming back to haunt him in, in some way. Yeah, the, the only thing that I was focusing on when seeing this was the throwaway line that you never take take responsibility or when are you going to act or something like that. Yeah. And to me, that was always in reference to the sister and to what happened in, in the ship and yeah. to fucking nothing else. And then it's kind of coming into fruition when he takes action and kind of saves the family mother although it's the family mother it's not the kids the kids are already saved he did that part but he's kind of going the extra mile and saving also the mother in the suicidal attempt yeah he's he's kind of making the i would say the easiest move to make in that situation that you can do in order to to have your redemption arc fulfilled. The the, the ending ending is is <clears throat> dumb as as pack of hammers. What about in the beginning when when we have in the prologue still the 
the ship, the uh, Junsok and the mother and the boy, they are on the ship to Japan, or so they think. And then it's a ship to Hong Kong suddenly. Once again, I'm not sure what is the significance. They could have gone to Japan, to, they could have gone to Hong Kong or Vietnam for all I care. But there is this American commander who doesn't want to disclose anything. And the big secret is that they are going to take the ship now to Hong Kong. And if I remember correctly, there was a complete quarantine waiting for them in Hong Kong. Well, so what? It could have also been in Japan. Don't see what's the difference. Anyway, there is the corridor fight and Jun Sok doesn't save his sister. He's rather standing around in shock and then shooting the zombies. Once again, I, I think I, I think Jun Sok had a legitimate chance here to save the sister at least. But he oh, refuses oh, to stand oh, did around. He ever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like the dude dude already knows what is going on. Or even if he's not completely up on the uptake that that these are zombies we are dealing, but he already knows that there is some kind of a pandemic going on which turns people in infected into ravenous murder murder machines. And he he comes to the room and realizes that the shit, the shit is about to hit the fan. The situation is going on. He has all the time in the world, you know, just just track his sister out of the room and he uses that time to shove the thumbs up his ass and do nothing yeah he's just calling for his sister to come next to him and let's go out but yeah not not even that that forcibly or 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 strongly calling her it's just kind of like hey hey we we kind of sort of really would have to start to leave if if it's okay with you, yeah, it's kind of like sort of we have some sausage at the deck. Would you like to join us? Type of situation. Yep. Yep. But uh, so the the uncle or or the the husband of that sister now arrives and then of course blames Junsok for this inaction and rightfully so. And then again, that's kind of an inaction that he didn't see. Like the moment he sees is when Junzok is is leaving the room and walking away from the room, and then he he stops the husband from storming into the room and also become infected. That that's that's what the husband sees. Yeah. He 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 wasn't there when Junzok was wasting all the goddamn time in the world. Something like three minutes that you could actually use to just you know. Track your sister for for ten meters into the safe area and out, out, out and out of the room. That, that that's uh, all is is lost to the husband. A vulture commented on this prologue in the following way: "Quote: The film's prologue is deeply moving, but we never quite get the sense that Junsok abandoned the child and his mother callously." This is, after all, a zombie movie, and once the kid was bitten, there was nothing to be done, which means that the central emotional dilemma remains unconvincing. Hmm. That doesn't have to be a problem. The bitterness and guilt between the brother-in-law can exist, even if the original betrayal was mostly imaginary. But instead of exploring it or complicating it, the film treats it as a given, then uses that trauma as shorthand for additional shading and motivation, which just means that everything else rings false. Yeah, 
I think this this moment was kind of convincing that it's going to haunt the guy because he just is standing there. Sorry, Vulture, but... And also, the problem I see with this type of expositions and fast reveal of the antagonist in Force, it's that when you start to build up the tension once again in the second act with those same antagonists, it's going to lose its effectiveness. Like, why are we wasting time to release the zombies again because we we know they're there and we know how they're going to look like and how they're going to move. So. And then there is the weird point brought out in the new studio exposition scene about North Korea. Because North Korea is the only part of the peninsula that hasn't been overrun by the, the zombies. But we never get to any kind of point in the film where we would actually bring this to fruition that, to show why this was even pointed out. And I don't see any political reasons for it either. No. Uh, or when it comes to political reasons, the, uh, this is kind of where it gets, it gets tricky. Uh, I, I don't remember, did some of the... Uh, people in South Korea then uh, get uh, evacuate, uh, evacuated into North Korea. I don't remember anything like that. And the whole film happens in uh, uh, in Seoul prefecture. So It, it, it does. It, it, it does. Like, like North Korea really isn't touched upon. It's, it's not a place in this movie. Uh, I just... I, I've yeah. seen the film once. Uh, I have a faint recollection that there may have been some throwaway line that people would have gotten some safety when going into North Korea. Because, North, okay. like you mentioned, North Korea was able to save itself from the pandemic. Right, and uh, there is this uh, line that goes roughly from the reporter in the news show, something like, a lucky break that the Koreans didn't unite. What's the significance here? I was actually thinking, is the film trying to be Pro-North Korean. Yeah. Like, what was said before it that North Korea wasn't affected? Or, yeah, okay, but it's good for North Korea, that's about it. Well, it, 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 it does show you that, that North Korea was able to... Uh, was able to, to secure itself. Unlike South Korea, North Korea managed to deal with the situation and, and stay un, un, uninfected. Mm-hmm. If if and and this this is where where it gets tricky because I I don't remember correctly what exactly was said in the five seconds that you got got dialogue out of this situation. But if there really was the situation that North Korea did take refugees from the South Korean side once the pandemic hit, that would also paint the North Koreans as the good guys, They're the ones who opened their border to help their their brothers quotation marks yeah or is it some kind of a weird point to say that the dmz is so tough to break through that you cannot enter into north korea it's so secretive and uh well, well it, it, it could be also say, saying that or yeah c- certainly it, it is saying that since most likely the way how north korea was able to protect itself was through the dmc mm-hmm. because the only way that the zombies would have to cross the North Korea would be that ring-a-ding-ding bridge, 
and and some boat traffic. So all North Korea has to do is to cut off the boat traffic so that nobody gets into the North Korea by boat and then just, you know, put a triple security on, on the DMZ bridge. Yeah, but, and, uh, you know, think about if there's like hundreds of thousands of these beasts trying to cross the DMZ, what it's going to look like from the guard tower? They're going to see hordes of zombies approaching and they're going to destroy all the landmines one by one by one. And then it's just gonna gonna be out of control. They're gonna gonna cross the river by walking. Some of them and uh, mission ex- no, accomplished. No, 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 no. You you see, you see, North Korean has the North Korea has the North Korean super troopers uh-huh. on, on on its side. Like like, come on, these guys defeated the the Japanese ninjas all those years ago. So so a couple of thousand. Or hundreds of thousand zombies ain't ain't no thing for for North Koreans. Or the guards simply launched some information leaflets to the North Korean side, and the zombies read them and said, "Fuck this, we're gonna." Go. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 don't have free Wi-Fi and and public internet. <laughs> the zombies went back to home. Because they are still replicating the the behavior that they had before they became infected, and all the zombies used to be goddamn hipsters. But so four years passed, and the zombies got lazy and started sleeping in vans and whatnot. And during all of this time, time Junzok and his buddies have been spending, spending spending some time in Hong Kong on Hong Kong streets, and there is a kind of a restaurant fight, so to say, and. Uh, Junsok is living there, and he doesn't have a HK nationality, or was it state permit that they were discussing about? And the locals seem to hate them, and they are scared of them. And the restaurant throws them out. The cook says something like, "They don't have to pay," but Junsok pays anyway and throws the glass on the table, breaking it. Yeah, because because he's he's both the good guy and the bad guy or badass. Speaking of, of, which, of, of course, he's not gonna take free drinks, and right after he pays for the drinks, he's going to break the glasses. And speaking of which, it's in, it's not any kind of a clear cut who are, well, the bad guys. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. You have this this section six three one, that is the ex military unit, and those are giving a bit of a headache, and they are kind of the antagonist group of the moment, and zombies are kind of a, like just there in the middle to be used for your benefit even like yeah I, I i guess i guess this takes the the old old road or scene in asian cinema that the bad guys in the end are the western white shitbags because this, this film really doesn't have a good westerner in in it that there you you the, the, the first western people that you have are the the military leadership on the boat Right, and they reroute the ship to to Hong Kong and are being complete dicks about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like when when South Korean military personnel asks why are we changing changing course, the the Americans are kind of like, yeah, yeah. Why why did you squinty eyed fuck get below the deck and let us handle this? And later on in in Hong Kong, that the main criminal triad dragon head whatever the dude is supposed to be also a western white guy uh sorry you were talking about the newsroom guy no 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 no. i'm i'm talking about 
the the leader of of the Hong Kong thugs, that the one person whose whose oh, idea yeah. the whole twenty mil is. Yeah, and also this random dude in the studio is just some white guy inserted there, ham-fisted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's some kind of a, I I don't know CNN interview or something like that. They're trying to make this movie more international or something. I think it's just pointless, and I don't understand the reaction of the soldiers on, on the ferry at all. But, but I'm, I, I'm guessing, like, like my take was that they they are, like you said, they are trying to make the film more international, and and they are trying to make the the situation at hand larger by showing you how different nations react to to the situation in in South Korea. Mm. That all is is kind of well and good. It's it's okay. It, it's it's nice that you show how the rest of the world would would. Deal with a situation like the the collapse of South Korea, as, as it's easy to see that that would kind of you know break the news barrier and be a big deal. Uh, but, but when it comes to this aspect, the film kind of flounders it and does nothing with it. The the other other thing that the film is at the, at the same time trying to do, at least in my opinion, is is once again try to do this this uh, old thing where the western guys where, where the bad guy is is a some rest, random western dude this is something that we did see in asian cinema back back in the back back in the 90s and and late 80s like i'm talking about films like jackie chan's thunderball and and other for example hong kong action movies where the main villain would be some white asshole from somewhere. Yeah, or you could think about also this Japan Hong Kong, whether they want to go to Japan to Hong Kong in several different ways. I guess I suppose South Koreans are happy to go to Japan, but Hong Kong is a big no no. We have to inform everybody it's gonna be Hong Kong. Jump off the ship. But also in this very scene, you can see. As I think you alluded in the last episode's closing words, that that, that the ferry is making similarities to MV Sewell incident in 2014. Yeah, pretty strong ones. Like like with with the ship, you kind of you you kind of have the same same things and, and the same comments that that you already raised up in 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 the previous when we were talking about Train to Buzan. The ship here doesn't do anything drastically new. It it doesn't present you with with different comments. Yeah. It it kind of just showcases you that the, the same aspects. Once again, once again, that the, the crew mainly in charge of the ship is is incompetent. They they let an infected person inside the ship and then they provide no guarding for for the evacuees. Meaning that the infected person just they just leave leave the infected there to hang around. Yeah, and, and nobody in that and and once once the body construction starts, nobody in that room except a goddamn little kid notices that hey maybe something's a bit off. This one dude is acting kind of strangely, and then, then, then there is the authorities being dickbags. Especially in the scene when they are talking about, you know, changing the, the course to 
to Hong Kong, which since we are once again we are talking about institutions this time, the U.S. Army, it's kind of a governmental reaction. You you have the civilians die, these being the the, the evacuees in that one room, while the people in charge, EA, the military, they, they all, you know, survive. No harm done. I didn't see even one military zombie. In, I don't remember seeing a military zombie below the decks. Yeah, and I, I listed that uh, it was some kind of an authority. Was it even through the loudspeakers? Which would be a really clear clear reference to and visual. But there was some kind of an authority uh, saying that please return to your seats. Which is exactly kind of what happened at MV Sewell. Just please stay where you are and don't move situation yeah. and everybody dies. Yeah, N nothing new. Nothing you kind of sort of already didn't see in, in Train to Busan. Yeah. But brought up again here in, in Peninsula. Now the gangsters in the, the June songs, uh, there are the gangsters in the gangsters approaching the June socks flat and uh, June sock is innocently just seeming to sleep there, but he is not asleep and then challenges the people who are in his flat to a fight, of course. And the gangsters say that we are not here to fight. Well, obviously you were because you just barged in and they get to the HQ, you know, and there's this great plan. Zombies don't care about gold, so let's go to Mokdon in Seoul to get this 20, 20 million waiting. And even after the second viewing, I can't for the life of me, I still didn't grasp what this 20 million is supposed to be. Where is it coming from? Did you see that? Uh, never explained. I I took it that it's, it's for people's homes. Like they, they have sent some kind of a bandit party there to... To go to the homes and steal cash and jewelry. Perhaps also hit like grocery stores, the bank, something like that. Where, where the money has been collected from, never touched upon. But I did feel that that was kind of when it came to, you know, having a MacGuffin in your film, yeah. having, having some excuse for the movie to happen. That wasn't a bad idea. Well, but like that that was that was pretty logical that was actually something that i could see happening in this kind of a situation because well, okay. like like the criminal leader points out the zombies really don't do anything with money and neither does anyone who still might be alive and stuck on on south korea M money is is worthless to anything that that's inside south korea and only has value to those who can exist outside of it. Yeah, I understand the motivations of the characters. Would you just live a poor cockroach life in the streets of Hong Kong, or do you want to try to get this 20 mil and that'll be 2.5 mil each? But still thinking of the experiences of these people in the peninsula before and then returning there, and who the hell is going to even believe that? What, yeah, what, what are the guarantees yeah, that yeah, they're going to get the 2.5 mil? Yeah, that... Uh, also, I never actually understood how in the hell was the group brought together? Or, or what was the motivation behind behind selecting these people for the group? Well, like, who the, the, the... What they send back to South Korea is, is a group of four persons. There you have the main character 
a soldier for or, or the fighting purposes. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Then you have the taxi driver lady yep. for I, I guess navigation and and for her kick-ass driving skills. And okay, I buy that. And then you have uh, some rando for I, I guess shits and giggles. And 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 finally, you have the dysfunctional trunk for causing trauma and fucking everything up. Yeah, the ex-fiancé. Yeah. Why? <laughs> like, it's 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 kind of like it's it's a it's a it can't become as a surprise to anyone that that plan goes absolutely nowhere with those people putting to work together as a group. Yeah. Also questionable. What is the significance of a? A satellite phone in the film because uh, of course there's going to be technology left like millions of tons in south korea and some of it must be working in some way so oh my god we have a satellite phone yes yeah, so, so some of it is working the film, film shows you that there there is is working technology inside south korea mm-hmm. yeah yeah and well essentially this whole plot is the lost world plot logic from the Jurassic Park series. There is some stupid ass idea that let's go to this extremely dangerous area that is completely uh, separated from the mainland and uh, you know it's gonna be just just fine and then people get eaten or yeah essentially eaten in both films. Yeah it is it is like the go-to idea is to go to the one place where absolutely nobody should go to. Right and they ponder about this situation in a bar and they decide that this is a great idea, let's do it. And of course the ex-fiancé is shooting at Jun Sok like you didn't even try in this whole ferry incident, so this is bothering him as well in some way. Uh, so the ship takes off to Peninsula. I heard that there were supposed to be three days for the operation, but later it's supposed to be finished in before the first sunrise. I was a bit lost with that. Maybe I misheard. Yeah, I I, I guess they, they they may have changed it in in middle of the movie just so that they, they can excuse just because I've understood that the real in in reality the, the the journey they have to make to get get from the entry point back in to to the money car isn't that long. And we start to get to the peninsula. They take to the peninsula with the ship and they get on their smaller boat to reach the shore. And there's this dev- devastation, nice kind of a um, post-apocalyptic nightmarish scenes with bridge violently cut midway and other ruins. But clearly the problem compared to Train to Busan immediately is that there's none of that same claustrophobic nature of feel as there is in within a train. And so everything changes here. Nothing really feels that special about this setting. It's like almost any zombie flick in the environmental sense. Yeah, and that actually, as as the film goes on, that starts to become more and more of a problem. Yeah. For for this film, because as as you watch watch this movie, you start to pay a notice a lot. To the many aspects where the budget cuts have been made, 
and that starts to become a real problem for you. Or, or not this, not not a real problem. That that's overstating the the issue. But you you start to notice it. That you 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 start to notice that in in here financial corners have been cut. In here financial corners have been cut. And it, it kind of becomes a product of very heavily kind of a saved penny. And in in one in 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 some ways, I actually left the theater feeling that this felt smaller film than than Train to Busan. Like, like Train to Busan felt bigger and more expensive than this mm. movie. Yeah, it was probably easier to make because you are in the same spaces all the time. It, it, it is it is easier to make. It, it is it is also cheaper to make. Yeah, it's 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 more kind of a natural to make because this actually when it comes to to structure, like how 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 the environments are being constructed here, this kind of ride rides that train to Busan ticket in, in the sense that. A hell of a lot of of the scenes or the locations. They are essentially they are hallways mm-hmm. or other very small, very tight indoor indoor areas. Like you 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 have Hong Kong. H- Hong Kong is is a highway. You you start this the film on, on a car, staying inside the car. That that's very tight, small indoor location. That the boat mostly happens. Below the decks, in in one room. Then once you get back to to South Korea, this is the, the South Korea is, is the moment where the the big open world is supposed to kick in in this film. And what what you get in in South Korea is is the is the highway. Once again, it's it's cut off kind of a corridor corridor type of space. Then you have the rebel camp. It's it's what three do- rooms connected to, to each other? Then, then you have the the unit six three one camp, which mostly is uh, you you are being shown is is the commander's office, which is just one room. Then, then you have the the pit fight area for the gladiator games. That's also very small and cramped up location. And then you have have the surface level of of the unit. 631 head uh, camp and what you notice there pretty soon is that firstly the entire area which i guess it it was shot on on some parking lot it it looked very much like a parking lot built built set but they, they, they the set has been walled off by shipping containers and also in inside of the the containers you have even more containers now once again Forming small corridors where the the outdoor location so, shots and the action happens in in the uni, in in that camp. Also, kind of weird sign that we focus on saying affluent and carefree country. It's more like something that you would expect to see in North Korea, but we're still in Seoul. Uh, the lady ex taxi driver is there to help us out in the plot and. Junsok is inspecting the area. There, there are these zombies behind the glass structure, of course, and we kind of uh, get that into fruition in the end when it's going to eat the Sergeant Wang's group. There's 
bafflingly stupid decision making, like the, the driver who is not so dead after all, but the, the dude doesn't care about it, gets bitten, and this kind of stupidity kind of launches everything. And they make a lot of noise, even though they know already, and they were actually told on the boat by the Hong Kongese that, dude, use the noise to your advantage or don't make noise at all. You know how this thing works, but apparently you, you don't. Even the kids who are who are watching from the distance with the binoculars are saying like, what kind of idiots are these? Also, it was kind of uh, confusingly told now that this 631 is attacking. You are not maybe quite sure who is attacking. Is it now the kids? Is it the 361? Because we get to talk about 361 much later on. So I first thought that, okay, it's probably the kids fucking around. But then the kids want to save Junsok, so probably can't be them. Or you could say that they were kind of trying to divert the attention of the zombies so that they could save, in some half-assed way, Junsok or somebody. But it's uh, 361 doing the fireworks here. And one of my favorite moments is still the underpasses, where, where there are a lot of zombies and the kid shuts down the car and just lights the, the car silently inside this place so that they can then distract the zombies to get them away from the area with the radio-controlled toy car, which seems kind of silly, but this is something the film does quite a lot, like the technology versus the zombies. Well, it, it, it does it somewhat, not that, not that much, really. It it mm. it kind of it it has one idea, which is that the zombies are, are blind in the darkest state. They, they can see when there is a light, I, even though all the zombies have those dead milky white eyes. But that that's kind of how blindness works, I guess. And then the fact that the zombies are also attracted to any noise they can hear. And then you, you from, from that point, you you have a couple of variations that they showcase to you, mostly done by mostly in in the usage of light, like that they shoot at the flares, that they do have those modified cars, and then they also have the the small radio controllable, which makes noise, and there's a light in it. Yeah, in many ways, this whole noise plot doesn't make any sense because at the end for example you have the un helicopter arriving and it's making a ton of noise and in the vicinity you have at the engine uh engine harbor this boat which was just loaded with like uh, 100 plus zombies and the zombies are always there but they are somehow not interested in the helicopter in any way yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things that doesn't work at, with the ending of the film and this usage usage of zombies as play toys, I'm not completely excited about this. That, yeah, yeah, these kids have been growing up in this environment, but still to have this kind of a carefree way of dealing with this, or just being so, so knowledgeable about the zombies that, you know, it, they are essentially play toys. They come, become less threatening with this kind of approach. They, yeah, they, they do that. They, they... The kind of the feeling of threat that you could get from the zombies is lessened by the fact that 
They are constantly being used e either as a weapon by the, the survivors of the film or then they, somebody's just goofing around with them. That, uh, of course, at, at some level that does make sense since this film is more focused on making antagonists out of, out of other survivors, the human element of, of the story, that being the military unit. And there is this uh, guy who was taken aboard, I guess, as you as you mentioned, probably only for shits and giggles. He gets uh, some kind of a metal pole inside his mouth. He's being hammered with that a couple of times and on the side of the van. Where is this, this insane level of violence coming from these soldiers? It's rather unbelievable torture. Technically, where it's coming from, it, it's coming from the Western zombie media. When it comes to zombie media, when it comes to apocalyptic media, there is kind of this, this constant hard-on of the, of the Hobbesian worldview, that people need authority around them, surrounding them, because people themselves... If left to their own own devices, they are, they are horrible shitbags, everyone. They are always needlessly violent, needlessly cruel. And, well, like also in this film, they essentially, humanity is nothing more than just, you know, a group of blood psychopaths. Especially the male-driven societies or groups, as, as, as here, we, we have the, the whole divide between patriarchal group, that being the unit 3631, uh, and then the rebel survivor group, which is more matriarchal group, led, mo led by a woman and consisting mostly of women. And that, that's something you, you kind of see repeatedly in, in, in movies, in apocalyptic fiction. So when it comes to, you know, once again, the, the overusage of violence from on behalf of the unit 631, it's, it's once again, it's using a trope, I would say, or even a cliche. And it's, it's also, once again, it's raising up that, that consumerism and capitalism bad case point and, and ma making the argument against capitalism. As once again, that the film comes from the standpoint that because the unit 631 has an over excess of, of material resources, consumer goods, that's why they have kind of a grown to be completely selfish, completely dysfunctional and sadistically violent. What I heard here was South Korea capitalism bad, North Korea basically good. That unfortunately, that is a stretch of logic that you can make with the statements that that Peninsula makes, uh, because it it unfortunately it it starts to sound a hell of a lot like that, especially since the film itself is is is, is, is it's it's hand-fistedly forcibly tracking the North Korea into into the equation. The film makes the decision to name drop North Korea. Nobody asks for it. The film just wants to do it. And once North Korea has been raised up, it automatically kind of colors how you see the statements that the film makes later on, especially when they, they, those statement, statements are concerning things like capitalism. 
And especially because there is nothing else that you could connect the North Korea comments to in this film except into this context because nothing else is being done with them. No, no. Like, like I said, there, there is this this weird feeling, this this weird question that I found myself asking after seeing the film, which is, is this movie trying to be pro-North Korea? And it's, it's I'm, I'm kind of certain that no, yeah. that that's not yeah. the aim of the film. But, but, uh, but then what? If it's not, then it's the case that the film handles the topics it wants to raise up so badly that it's, it ends up completely shooting itself in the foot. More like it feels like some kind of a weird point in the script that was just left there and no proper brain power was used before it was actually shot. And they noticed that, oh, actually, this doesn't have any value for us, but let's leave it in anyway. <laughs> and and that that might stem from, once again, from, from the film's desire to be able to build a franchise here. Like, like maybe, maybe the whole North Korea thing was one something that something that is name dropped now here, so that the next sequel, if it wants to, can try to do something with North Korea. And what do you think about this whole death scenario of of Jun Sok? Because of course we come back to this point that yeah, I I left you by the roadside four years ago. And perhaps it's a bit unconvincing as a debt, and perhaps it's a little bit, it's more unconvincing in the way I think how Min Jung reacts as a mother to this. So she she kind of is understandably bothering Jung Sok throughout the movie about this fact, but that she would take it kind of to the effect that, well, you know, we have to get the kids out of here, so you are in debt, so. You need to do this and help us. How? Why would she give him any more chances to help his family? Help, help her family. I I don't know. To I me, just didn't buy it. To to me, the entire plot point read like something that the film wanted to have. Because once again, it's it's a it's a genre cliche, and this film is is nothing if wanting to hit every single cliche that you can hit with with your running time so it it wants to have it there it, it it wants to have the family on the roadside just so that it can have the family on the roadside and then it somehow can't figure out anything to do with that well in train to busan we had a character who was struggling with if not cowardice the lack of empathy and here it's kind of more more towards perhaps the cowardice fact, judging from the freezing effect in the ferry once again. Now I, I don't know if that if that was really even cowardice. Mm. Mm. Like like I, I, I don't see cowardly behavior in in anywhere else in the film from the from from the character's standpoint. No. No, just on the ferry, in my opinion. But it comes to bite him. Yeah, which kind of leads, leads into this... There's a cowardly moment, but he doesn't do anything cowardly after that, so he can't be a coward, because because he acts completely uncowardly later the whole rest of the film. Yeah. Which is, once again, what the hell happened on the ferry? <laughs> because the script... 
well, essentially, this, yeah, because of the script, because you have to have the the lost loved one. You you have to have the the tragic backstory. You you have to have the roadside family, and and you have to have survivor's guilt because zombie film. Yeah, and, and I'm all for the journalistic ethical code that don't shoot anyone unless you have the proof. Innocent until proven guilty. But what the fuck is going on here? We have the outlaws who have captured the van. I'm not sure why they're so excited about the fact. For example, are the working cars such of a rarity now? Because certainly this is not about food inside the van because they haven't even checked the goddamn van and what is in the bags. Yeah, yeah, they, they haven't. But the only excuse they give you why why the characters would be so interested about the van is because they think there is food inside of it. Well, uh, yeah, because without even looking inside, there's this one guy who is complaining about the kind of food. Uh, yeah, it's the uh, Sergeant Wang. And he thinks that he deserves more food because of this wonderful mission that they completed. Not, 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 not only that, but when he brings the car to the camp, he, he makes a big song and dance number how now they are going to have a hell of a lot of food. Like, I, I've brought so much food into this camp. I risk life and limb to bring you a car with food. And they didn't check what, what's in the car. Kind of suggesting that they're going to eat the car? I, I, I guess what, what the film is trying to suggest is that they, they saw... A moving vehicle in inside of South Korea, and inside of South Korea, in in this film's universe, there can't be a moving car without food inside of it. Oh, well, okay. I not com- not like, completely like, no, nobody, nobody drives a car unless there is food, a- except of course, basically all the characters who drive cars simply as a as a transport, or they drink the gasoline. Anyway, there is the. Uh ex-fiancé who is taken into the headquarters for the sick zombie game. Here we get to the whole whole uh, gladiator-ish, fight club-ish thing. And he's painted with the number 61. 61 being a reference to a famous MLB Major League Baseball player of South Korean origin. Yeah, which, which the film uses when the character does nothing promoting the baseball. Yeah, I, I I wasn't certainly quite following. Was it just thrown there because yeah, South Korea got into MLB. Hey, so Kim finds the money in the truck. Kim being this kind of a youngest guy in the main characters of the six three one unit, and Captain Seo is about to kill himself. He gets interrupted by Kim, and there begins this whole discussion about this that there's actually some money there he's actually kim is actually stupid enough to tell about the money to his boss because it's worthless air quotation marks completely worthless i tell you as usd is in somewhat like something like 20 sports bags and so asks whether where is this truck now and then they find a gps satellite phone at the same time the goodies in the goodies HQ, they are wondering about the same satellite phone. That where is the satellite phone? Maybe should we should go into the three 
uh, into the 631 headquarters to fetch it. And this is the moment where Captain Seo finds the satellite phone and has the discussion that the terms are the same. Just bring the money. Where's the money? Bring us the money. And he's on it. But also, Henry Kenrick, because Kim gets to help Seo because he can drive. However, later, Seo just shoots Kim because clearly Seo himself can also drive, as he does to Incheon Harbor, no less. So what was the point of keeping Kim alive all throughout this movie? I, uh, yeah, well, once again, I, although I have to admit, I also didn't really see the point of shooting Kim either. No, not, not really, it's just out of it's, frustration. It's, like, I, I, I don't see what shooting Kim would have actually netted to anyone in that situation. More bodies. Essentially more bodies, yeah. You, you, you have to have a body count in, in a zombie film. Coming back to this uh, zombie fight club, fight club, because around here we have the number 61, the ex-fiancé in the arena with the rest of the guys who are going to be given to the zombies. There is some arbitrary time limit that they have in this game. Let's see who all are going to survive this zombie outbreak in the pit. Really weird games. And mind you, like someone has to ha- go and collect all these zombies. And then keep them in this building, in the same spaces where they live. And I guess everyone was able to sleep a good night's sleep with these moaning bastards behind the walls, few walls away. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and also also for the zombies that the pit in the end, as it's been shown, it's super easy to break out. Yeah, why take the risk? Yeah. Also, also since we are talking about the zombie fight club. We also now here we get the, the trailer shot pile of zombies zombie who <laughs> most definitely is there and and does it it does I, I, I kinda need a help. What what does the pile of zombies do? Well it's crawling like a pile of rugby players, it, essentially. It's it's it's, 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 it's it, 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 it's a trope that is coming from Soul Station all the way from this kind of animated way to depict the zombies, which he wanted to keep this director in Train to Busan. And I think it's kind of a nice effect. It continues here. So. Well, yeah, maybe maybe that was the main reason why we have the whole zombie pile here. Because something you, once again, this goes, harkens back to the mentioning of the budget cuts happening here and there in the film, but you pretty soon you actually figure out that the zombie part is, is doing jack shit in, in the pit. It's mostly absent. You, you, you see it like a couple of times. It, it's first introduced when, when the game, games are, are, are first introduced to the audiences and then it manages to take a bite out of one person. Yeah. Yeah, there is this scene, once again, to mention it again. Junsok confessing to his crime, so to speak. He says that the, he has seen the mother before by the roadside four years ago, as, as stated. There's this absolutely uh, <laughs> inexplicable line. Something like, I thought the first car would take my child. 31 cars passed us by. Then another 30 cars. What? 
what, what do you mean 31 and then 30? That is 61. Why not say just 61 cars? Well, the, the reasoning for the whole, whole line, even though it doesn't work, is to quickly have a, clo- a closing for, for the whole survivor's guilt, the family on the roadside plotline. Since it was introduced in the beginning of the film, and the film is too headstrong to let that plotline go, So you have to kind of conclude it somehow, and since the film is no longer interested or or even committed to that plotline, it's just quickly resolved here, with the mom going full, oh, no biggie, nobody else did anything either. I think just the mother missed her arithmetic course or, or something, it doesn't make sense. Well, there's this speech in the arena about abundance, quote, live today and... Something. This is where Huang gets suspicious of Seo. Why is he so goddamn happy making this announcement about the car being full of food? Also, kind of this suspicion didn't quite make sense to me. Like the guy didn't even look inside the car, so why get suspicious? Well, because Wang has been a complete dickbag about food and rations before. And all of a sudden he's he's saying that, no, 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 now you guys can have a feast. Okay, fair enough. There's also kind of a weird scene where we see, just see some guards on their guard posts above the road and uh, the guards don't care to report the approaching zombies. Okay, well, why is this scene here? I may I may have missed the point, but I didn't see any. So there well, are zombies. Essentially, it's it's uh, I I would say it's there to give you explain uh, the explanation on how it's possible that the the zombie horde can so quickly break into the unit unit six three one's camp once the action inside the camp happens or or starts. Yeah, I suppose. Now the group of goodies approaches the headquarters. Meanwhile, Huang visits the office of Seo. Like he doesn't understand why everything is so everything is so light and dandy. But finally, he deducts that the, these two characters, Kim and Seo, must be in love. So he leaves the lovebirds alone. Yeah, because all, all the nude posters on the wall didn't give you that slight hint that the character might be straight and not gay. Yeah, we are even shown this kind of yeah yeah we are explicitly shown this when he's having fun with the poster. So the group of goodies find a van. Now Kim want, wants to join them. A shootout follows as Seo comes shooting, and then the shots are fired. The kids decide to go help at this moment because they wanna say hi to mommy. Well, that's a kind of weird side plot where Junsuk goes to look for his friend this number 61 and take him out of the ring and just try to rescue him also kind of a i'm not sure what is the character motivation at this point with the van full of money for min jung to crash through the wall and come and help this guy who left her and her kid alone four years ago by that roadside Well, that that's in order to you know close up the the whole you left my family. I have the survivor's guilt for lotline and bring it to conclusion. Like yeah. be, before before she has she has stated that 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 thirty other cars drove past them. So 
Main character wasn't the only asshole who tried past them and left them, left them on the side of the road to fend for themselves. And therefore, she really is not that bitter about it and is, is willing to forgive. That, that's what she says. And now with coming to aid, she shows that she has forgiven him through action by putting herself on the line. It, it's also, I, I would say, it's, it's tying with the whole, whole patriarchal versus matriarchal society's point of the film, because once again, the, the matriarchal side, the mother here, is, is, is she is so showing compassion and care, e even with the risk of harm coming to her. Yeah, or, you know, it could have been just a situation where Jun Min was like, well, if I don't save Jun Sok's ass now, then we can't have this very emotional, happy ending in the end of the film and drive the character arc to completion so I must do this for the sake of the film you that that's one take and of course Julmin dies and so they escape and start this epic escape to the harbor sergeant Wang and the goodies and of course the kids decide to help now because they hear the shots and it's like the all the theme is now together the mother says, from the other car, shouting to her kids to the other car, that, why do you never listen to me? And the kids are like, what, we're not that bad or something. And finally, the mother smiles back to them. It's a bit of a dumb moment in my books. Huang lights up the car spotlight, so the zombies start to attack. Of course, only our heroes, but not the antagonists, because they are not lit up at all. Jun Sok is shooting at the lights to get rid of them and freeze up the zombies behind the window. The Hollywood reporter said that the truck heist is well staged, but entirely unnecessary. Kind of, this this is the moment where the movie is just doing whatever the hell it wants. Like, we have gotten off the base, so we have this epic chase, but it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have a lot of stakes in it. This is the moment where the film remembers that, that Fury Road was pretty damn awesome movie. Yeah, or Fast and Furious series. Or, or Fast and Furious. Uh, you, you get the Fury Road on the setup of the, of, of the scene. There, there's, once again, the situation. The good guys are, are on a car. There's something important in the car. And, the bad, and there's a chase. They are driving away from the bad guys who chase them with modified cars. And then you have all the, the bullshit heavy CGI usage car trickery that they pull off in, in course of the heist or, or the chase. And that is very strongly reminiscent of the Fast and Furious movies. It is. I was just about to ask you, what do you think about the visual effects by Dexter in the film? Like, I, I kind of like the fast, fast pace of the of, of the car chases, they are energetic and kind of fun. But at the same time, you see this kind of a car collision with the zombies, kind of feeling like some kind of a bowling alley. And they use this same effect again and again and again. It gets a little bit tiresome in the final chase to, to me. Also, there is this weird random kind of a completely separate car chase, which is a part of this final car chase where the 
kids are followed by this kind of a mad looking lady or something and then they do the trick on the side alley and they point the car headlights to the zombies and the zombies eat the uh, kind of a talented driver as they say but uh, yeah this the the, it, the material looks a little bit too cgi-ish it's a little bit smudgy and not not completely believable looks like a video game i'm kind of fine with that i'm i'm still kind of enjoying the chases as uh, even though you know it's it doesn't have stakes uh i i was a bit bothered by it to be completely honest it it didn't ruin the scene for me i i still enjoyed it but i also did uh, very clearly noticed the, the heavy usage of C CGI, and at times the CGI, like you remarked, it wasn't that good. Like there, there are in in Dexter's defense, I I am willing to admit that it's it's obvious that they they put a hell of a lot of work in, in, into into the effects of this movie. Like they they have worked for their paycheck. That was that much is obvious, but. Especially in the in final chase, there there are numerous sequences where you kind of see the CGI breaking to the point where it even becomes quite ugly. Like it, it becomes so obvious that it's 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 even ugly. And I was kind of sort of extremely bummed about it. To me, it. it even though it didn't ruin the scene, it didn't ruin the fun, but it was still something like, I, I wish it would have been better. Yeah. Something that most definitely did not help the film's CGI in, in, in the chase scene was that the chase scene is so heavily borrowing from, from Fury Road, and Fury Road used real cars, real driving, and practical effects. So you are immediately drawing, in, in your head, you are automatically drawing comparisons to Fury Road, where you see all this stuff pulled off better. Well, it's kind of their blessing that the zombies work the way that they do work, that you have more of a chance of a survival if you are going by the road during nighttime. So this helps usually with the CGI. This might have been even more smudgy looking or even more like unbelievable during the daytime takes. Uh, what this really actually looks like is that it was shot in partial sunlight and then it was just digitally modified like the way it is. I'm not faulting Dexter here. I can't say that I could fault Dexter here because we have a film of $16 million budget and we have the director, Jan, kind of, going overboard i feel because there's too many scenes with heavy you, you need for cgi and that's what you get with this open world i, I guess yeah the, the, i i feel that the film should have been smaller yeah like, like you obviously didn't have the budget to 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 create the vision you had inside your head and that's not that's not always a problem. You you can have a film where basically the limitations of your budget are very very noticeable. Like I I love I love Sam Raimi's Evil Dead films. 
and in there you know you can you can see see very clearly that it was shot on f with five dollars in their pocket and all, all, all the effects are pretty damn bad and i love them i love each and in single one of them but with, with evil dead the thing was that he, sam raimi didn't make evil dead movies because he was thinking that he wanna he wants to create a franchise and i'm gonna build a huge thing out of it he made the evil dead movies because he and group of his friends friends wanted to get cameras and dig around first in the cabin and then later on in the midi medieval LARP fantasy setting. So all, all fair and square there. But why it's more problem for me in Peninsula is because Peninsula doesn't want to be me and my group of my friends just wanted to make make a film and what we had was five bucks peninsula wants to be the big franchise starter and when you are making a franchise film i would say that in in those cases the budget cuts and the limitations of your budget shouldn't be visible like, like in in franchise you should aim aim big and you should really you know hide hide the corners you are gonna be cut the, the Mar Marvel did it when they were starting the MCU with Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. They also were dealing with, with limited budgets back in the day because MCU wasn't yet a thing, but they did know that what they are trying to do is, is lay the groundwork for MCU to happen. And, you know, they, they hide their, their budget limitations pretty well. And I, I do maintain that, that Peninsula to work as a franchise, since Peninsula wants to be a franchise starter, it also should have hidden the budget limitations better. Then again, I think it's a bit of a flawed way to give an axe or review a film based on what's happening in the background. I mean, it's, it's in, inevitable as a film critic when you try to go through a movie, you will come and you will come to know about all of these budgets and what was happening there, what's the history of the franchise. But I think to an extent you could just cast it aside and just see the film as it is. And with that said, it would still bother you? Yeah, it, it does. Because where the budget leads into is the film looking cheap. And the situation where the film looks cheap is in the situation where the film wants to be a founding work for a franchise. Yeah, yeah, but okay. <laughs> what can you say to that? But you still enjoy watching Evil Dead, even though it's like five buck effects. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't bother me in Evil Dead because Evil Dead is hey, I'm why would it make a film with my friends? It's not I'm gonna start Evil Dead cinematic universe. Even Evil Dead Three isn't about I'm gonna set up an Evil Dead universe. Mm. It it's not Evil Dead presents Army <laughs> of Darkness. It, it, it it's not hey there's the entire world outside of you know Ash that can happen in the sequels. Evil Dead became a franchise later on. I would say after Army of Darkness, like. Today, Evil Dead is a comic book series and, and PS2 games and you name it. But the films themselves never wanted that to happen. Yeah. And they didn't try to set it up. 
And because of that, I'm, I'm more willing to look away when it comes to, you know, cheap budget and, and occasionally wonky effects in Evil Dead movies. All right, now we are in the final moments of the film. They reach the harbor, but Seo appears from nowhere. Of course, he's now able to drive a car very much, or not really. He's not very good at it as he crashes it immediately. Well, it's intentional uh, as far as you could muster to understand this. And he kicks, kind of gives a hard time for our goodies and then shoots the grandfather fatally. And after this, there is this very dramatic-ish moment about this grandfather character that was not really well established at all anyway. And, you know, in the mid parts of the film, when we get to the goodies base, there is a reference made. The, the grandfather, I believe, makes the notion that there is some kind of a headquarters for them as well. And they're staying in contact with those headquarters. It, it tries to use it to set up a major plot twist at the end. Yeah. It's not really built that well. It's easy to miss in, in the film because this happens, once again, this happens in dialogue and in, in one usage of, of camera work. Where, where the whole, whole setup and the whole question of is there Captain Jane or is the grandfather just the cuckoo is... Yeah. is is being had, and then you got to get to the dogs, which well, are the, the the plot twist to to the whole Captain Jane grandfather story, story arc of the film. And most importantly, we will find out that Seo is going to become a good person now. He will become a good person, and he will remember these people with a lot of warmth. What was the quote? And then he drives the car to the harbor and inside the ship. And of course, Junsok is not quite smart enough to just shoot at the tires. Nobody does it in this in this film. You just don't shoot at the tires. Well, people actually do surprisingly little shooting altogether. Uh-huh. But case in point is we are at the ending. Once the UN helicopter arrives at the docks, and there's a whole zombie horde that's gonna eat eat the mom. You ha- you have like a load of UN troops with with rifles. And nobody, nobody fires a gun. Not, not even, even to work as a distraction for for the zombies that are now surrounding the car that with the mom in it. Mm-hmm. In in fact, in fact, since we are talking about jackassness here at the final minutes of the film, that the camera also cuts to the, the red smoke grenade that Junjok is is carrying with him. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what, what does Junshok do with, with the smoke grenade? Since yeah. it's so goddamn important. Where, 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 where is it used? Is it used during the end credits? Because it most of shit ain't used in any way in this situation. It is used. He's giving exactly some kind of Exactly where? Because I didn't see red smoke. Uh, not, not red smoke, but it's some kind of dark smoke. That he seems the characters, to... The, the, the grenade, the text on the grenade says red. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. I, I I did notice that that he did throw something in the in that one charge when he when he charges at the car to to save the mom. Right. It's really hard to see where he's shooting at and how exactly this smoke would be beneficial. But okay, I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. But but w- w- once again, once again, 
the camera directly cuts to the grenade that, that has a text red on, on the side of it. I, of course, immediately expect that to be a, a smoke grenade with red colored smoke. Hinge, big leather word, red. And then you see, see something, but it most definitely is not red smoke. And Seo gets to the boat, but gets shot, but with his last superpowers after getting, like, I don't know, six bullets. He manages to steer and drive backwards, and then they close the ship hull at the same time, and the zombies manage to crawl in, and they kill probably everybody, and the money stays in the truck, which is quite irritating. I was kind of expecting Jun Sok to risk his life, or to die for that money still, even though the UN is there. Just still try to fetch it or something. No, 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 because Chunsok is, is a good guy. He doesn't care about the money. More, more specifically, he has now been in South Korea and seen that the fight over material goods leads into barbarism, hence capitalism bad, and he has spent some time with matriarchal society or a group, and from there he has learned some compassion and empathy. So now he's more than willing to, you know, leave the 20 mil behind. Oh, good for him. Let's just fly to Seoul, Henrik, and let's go get this money. And of course, the little girl insists with a gun to help their mother who is stuck in the truck. And the gun incident is completely forgotten by Miss Jane straight after, so she understands. They're under a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Jane understands, and that's a situation that is easy to understand. What the little girls don't understand once the mom has been saved and they are all safely in the helicopter and everybody is telling the girls that the mom will be okay, is that the mom will be okay. Because the girls are crying like she's on her death's, death's door at that moment. Right, they see her holding the gun on on her and at the same time Jane is going like she did the right decision and then Junsok battles against kind of his fears and then uh, with the power of flashbacks he saves the mother magically they all survive I was, I was expecting something to happen but everybody survives so I guess it would have been too typical to sacrifice one person the final scene, the helicopter, the mother appears to be unconscious here, so in my opinion, clearly used as a sequel baiting. Kind of a safety netting themselves that they can use it in the fourth one if they ever make it, and then the entire Hong Kong will get infected. Jane has a weird comment, a new world awaits. And then is it Junie who says the closing quote, the world I knew wasn't bad either. Okay. Well, the way I could just think about what this quote means is when I was seeing it uh, for the first and the second time, even I was just like, okay, yeah, it's a reference that you had a family there and now the grandfather is dead. So it wasn't that bad. Now the grandfather is dead. So, so yeah, that, that wasn't so bad. We had a situation under control. We had a place to stay in, but it's a yeah, weak yeah, quote. Yeah. Yeah. But everything else in this scene is still alluding to, to a situation where the mom would would be, you know, dying. Yeah. The, the but... way how the kids behave here in the helicopter, 
is exactly like in a situation where the mom would be would be dying. Like like they 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 are all gathered around the, around their mom, crying their eyes out. Exactly like if the mom would be dying. Yeah, seems like an overly pessimistic statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it and none of that makes any kind of a sense. No. Since since every every character in 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 that he- helicopter, Junsok and and Captain Zane, both make the remark that the mom is going to be okay. The mom is not you know injured in any way that it would be lethal. So what what you have here is is seeing that that kind of a, tries to do two things at the same time. I suppose, or it had some much deeper meaning about the relations of South and North Korea. No, it's just bad riding, plain and simple. So they fly to safety and goodbye for the money and capitalism, and yay, so North Korea. I'm sorry, that's the vibes here at the lab, and that's about it. Hollywood reporters said that the end result of this mashup is a zombie heist rescue adventure with a detour to. Thunderdome, and the entity sadly not included. Peninsula suffers the same type of sequelades, sequelades, whatever, that suggests a second entry must be more bigger, louder than its predecessor. Apart from the increased use of CGI, the biggest digression from the first film is in the lack of rounded characters that gave the story its emotional heft and actors something to work with. Min Jung is self-sacrificing and forgiving because children. The B and C stories here don't efficiently serve A story the way they did the first time around. They feel more like diffuse filler that gives the film an aimless quality it shouldn't have, with a big emotional finale that feels forced. And I, on my end, I agree with all of those statements. To the point where, actually, when I was leaving the theater, I too was thinking not not just Fury Road, but also Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Salon stated, Junie barrels through the streets, gleefully drifting into hordes of zombies as if they're bowling pins. Quite right. Here is where Yon and Park Josuk, both of whom also wrote Train to Busan, missed out on who the real heroes of the film are. Instead of wasting the first quarter of the film on Jun Sok and Jun Min's disastrous journey back to Incheon that requires both men to be rescued, why not just use more time to flesh out the only remotely unique characters who are already there? And this continues. Peninsula, however, has taken away the zombies' humanity and makes them generic. None of the characters we meet are turned before our eyes, they are just forgotten or they join the faceless masses to be mowed down by cars or weaponized by humans. While the message that humans are the real monsters is clear, the film has forgotten that it's monsters who once were human. A.V. Klopp uh, stated, quote, It adheres to a very paint-by-numbers approach to wasteland lore, including the introduction of a Mad Maxian militia gladiatorial battle arena, and a fearless single mother whose scrappy family helps our hero navigate the dilapidated wasteland. LA Times said, Dazzle over depth. And the 115-minute runtime rather hangs on the shoulders of movie star gang, who does his best to convey the torture of a man driven by a vague sense of guilt, loss. It's never clear nor satisfying, as he guns his way through Peninsula's dystopian action-wrecking up zombies' headshots and overwrought score trumpets the emotional stakes 
with the subtlety of a Michael Bay blockbuster, as if Yon doesn't trust the story to land with any weight on its own. Take a cue, wear a mask, wash your hands, be kind to others, and watch Soul Station instead. End quote. Well... Well, it's not that bad. <laughs> um, Vulture had a nice headline. Quote, if you ate Train to Busan's brain, you'd be left with Train to Busan Presents Peninsula. IndieWire said, quote, Yon's latest yarn shrinks away from its own potential like it's scared of the movie it could have been. And, yeah, that's about it. Go ahead with your favorite performance, Henrik. I actually don't have anything for the quickies. Since I, when I saw the film, I had to make two, the Try. decision between do I pay attention enough to pick my quickies or do I pay attention enough to make the rest of the episode and unfortunately the rest of the episode won. So when it comes to, to you know, this section of, of the episode, I I have absolutely nothing for you. Okay. It's hard to say if, if I go through this in some way. It's hard to say the favorite performance because I feel that Gangdong Won is quite wooden here as he usually is in his roles, in my opinion. He's kind of seen as this kind of heartthrob character throughout the years. Not particularly a, a, an actor that I enjoy watching myself but there's a place for this guy for example he has played the role of of this north korean agent in secret reunion from was it 20 to 2010 and i think he was really convincing and worked in that role as this kind of a steely eyed character with no seeming emotion for most of the film but here i was looking for something more I think the other actors actually outpower him in this film, and I don't particularly find him an, as a as a like a very interesting actor. Sorry to say, so I'll say nothing really. Maybe I I I would gravitate to the kid actors of the film actually, and I particularly like the the shots of the ripped bridge near the first maybe twenty minutes of the film when they enter the peninsula. We see the ruins. And I quite like the scene with the the toy car bluff in the tunnel, as I stated. The music is by Mogger, and he has composed also and won awards for many films, like I Saw the Devil from 2010, Masquerade from 2012, and Why a Monster Boy from 2013. All quite pretty good films. At least I enjoyed I Saw the Devil and Masquerade. I have to say I, I didn't quite find the music in those films. But there are moments in this film where the music is quite nice to listen to, especially in the ending chase scene. But funnily, I feel that the music that was used in the trailer, for example, which is great, was not used in the movie at all. Kind of a shame. The best move music is, in my opinion, in the end credits. My favorite line would be that 31 cars and then another 30. But Henrik, I guess you at least have an answer to this one. Would you recommend Peninsula? That actually is, is a tough question. Um, it's kind of dangling on the edge, don't you think? It, it, is, it is dangling on between... No, an extremely lukewarm yes. 
I I didn't love the movie in in any stretch. I had huge problems with it. I I felt that the characters didn't really work. The story didn't really work. The the political messaging, what the little there was, was kind of a seen already million times and seen better. Uh, this this also was like like train in my opinion. This too was a hell of a lot of Hollywood the zombie films. This this even more than Train to Busan. But even though even with with all these grievances, I I must stress out that I didn't hate Peninsula. Mm. There there was nothing that was so aggravating that I would have really been against the film. I do feel that it's it's okay, serviceable, works pretty well as a time waster. But yeah, that that's about it. Like you you don't. It's it's an okay way to to spend two hours of of your time if you have an abundance of free time in your hands. You don't really get anything from it. But but it's it it, it it works for those two hours when you see it once. But once again, is is that enough for you know merit recommendation? I uh, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of fun occasionally. Yeah, yeah. But as you say stated, these tropes have been seen before and better done in other movies. And it's uh, quite fragmented in its. It doesn't have a real focus, in in my opinion. So, at least yeah, like like if this would come, if you would see this one scrolling when when you're scrolling Netflix with, with your friends, would you would you actually stop the scrolling and be go, hey guys, let's let's check out Peninsula. Probably. Or would would you ever seek out a friend and you know tell her you should go and see Peninsula in theaters? <laughs> I I really don't know. Like, um, fuck it, fuck it. You know, no, no recommendation from me. Yeah. It's 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 not it it's not a bad film. It, it's not a worthless film. It's it's not the worst of of its own franchise. To to me, this is between you know Silver Station and Train to Busan. It's it's not as good as Train, but it's it's better than Station. It's it's okay way to you know but once again to kill those two hours of time if you have absolutely nothing else to do and watch. Yeah. But still, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. My answer is no. Yeah, I understand. On the after the first viewing, I was definitely underwhelmed, but I felt that at point points I had a pretty good time still, but still. When you watch it with a more critical eye, for sure, on the second time, it becomes quite crystal clear that uh, it's just it's just not worthy of a recommendation. Uh, but as you stated, it's good for killing some time, perhaps, if you have it, like we apparently did. And uh, I don't know. I guess apologies for pushing you into the cinemas to see see this. But no, I had okay fun, but let's say. Not enough. Why? Why would I recommend this? We've seen better yeah, ones. Yeah, that 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 is the main question, the main problem with with the movie. Like, if you already seen it, you didn't really lose anything. Yeah. But but at, at the same time, it's 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 not enough. 
like it, it's not enough for me to go to anyone to to go to to you know grab grab my friend from 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 a sh- shoulder and tell him to no. to go to the cinemas and check out Peninsula. No, you will probably have a better time watching some early George A. Romero, whatever. It's it's nothing that's special. Yeah, or, here. or even even try to Busan if you haven't seen it right. already. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the film? I think there are some honestly memorable moments. For example, the electric toy car or the zombies attacking the van. There's something there, but fragmented, as stated. So yeah, so, so, uh, sorry, Peninsula. It, 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 it's no from us, and to be absolutely honest, y- even though this might still be a hit in, in theaters, I, I I'm not really seeing that the franchise will happen. Yeah, I I I'm I'm really satisfied if, if this was this. I think this has this subject has been exhausted for now and I think it's good for the director Jon to go back to films that have more something of a substance to say. And I'm really looking forward for, to his next works. I just hope it's not a entry in the Train to Busan franchise. Yeah, I, I, I too. I, I'm most definitely. I'm, I am not writing the director off from my books, yeah. but by all, all means, he, he's, a, he's a capable guy, and I, I'm certain that the, his next project will work better than than Peninsula did. Absolutely. Thanks for all all the fun, Mr. Director. <laughs> Looking forward to new projects. But what are, what is our next project here in the laboratory? I guess that's a question up to you. Hmm. I guess it just remains to be seen what will be up to next. Well, uh, yeah. I I guess we too need some surprises for the next week. And naturally, if you follow us on any of the social media channels, you will get updated what we're going to watch next. All right. Thank you for this little trilogy and uh, let's see what uh, we will come up with next don't forget to leave us a rating if you're using itunes or the apple podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcast your support for us will be greatly appreciated see ya until next week concentrate on movies from around the world so we are not limited to and hardly even much go to hollywood these days i can't say i'm sorry for it oh by the way i have i have no regrets at all that we are looking at the third joy chic film in this podcast (laughs) 